You are a successful online Twitch streamer, playing games watched by thousands and earning good money from doing so. Enough to own a very nice house and a BMW car and flaunt your wealth with the obligatory social media pictures of the fan of dollar bills. Your girl is impressed. Your friends are impressed. Your family is not. Everything is a lie, including the girl being your girl. This is the case of Grant Amato, and this is Murder Me on Monday. Hello everyone, we are the Murder Me on Monday podcast. I'm Cameron, and joined with me is Mother. Hello. Thank you for the continued support over on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you not only support our efforts, but also gain access to a wealth of extra perks, such as early access to episodes, bonus content, and even stickers. If you don't want to sign up to another platform, you can still support us via our host, Buzzsprout. Links in the show notes. Or by leaving a review. Every little thing helps us keep the lights on. And thank you to those who have already supported us by leaving reviews. The latest of which tells us that they have resolved their inability to follow me by reducing the speed on playback by 20%. But you're still unintelligible, Cameron. I'm guilty of this. I can't help but talk quickly. If I'm interested or enthusiastic, this little dial gets cranked up and I get a little bit cracked out and can't help but speak really quickly. And it doesn't help that I slur my words. That's part of the reason why I don't talk anywhere near as much as you on this. Yeah. We are sorry. We know it's our fault. But slowing down how we speak is so unnatural and stilted. But we're going to try something new to see if it helps. So let us know if it does. I am being funny, but I edit this and I don't want it to be any longer... (laughs) <laughs> if we slow it down that's an extra like 10 minutes and i can't be asked that's like half an hour editing i got the sun to get into we have a family annihilation also known as parasite also known as familicide case this week with possibly one of the strangest motives we've come across for a long time i'm going to give you the case as usual in chronological order and actually include a lot that comes out in trial in that Hopefully it makes it clearer because there are so many problems, at least to me, with the investigation, which only comes out in trial evidence. And I do want to cover that off. Does it get kind of convoluted if it's not done chronologically? Yeah, it gets really confusing in the trial stuff. Good Lord. Is it what comes out in trial or just what's said in trial? What's said in trial. They're backwards and forwards like flipping yo-yos. You've got... What, the defence? No, the prosecution. It was complete enough to mess. Oh, about what? What, so the prosecution was incompetent? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, no, not incompetence is the wrong word. Inept, I don't know. Yeah, inept is closer. Right, we are off to Florida again. I swear it's coincidence. It's not, definitely not on purpose. A very small, rural, but very nice place called Chuliota, with less than 3,000 residents and 25 miles east of Orlando, for context. There lived Chad and Margaret Amato and their three sons. We don't know a lot about Chad and Margaret's beginnings. Margaret, who was two years older than Chad, had a son before she met and married Chad, who adopted the child, and they went on to have their own two boys, Cody, who was born in 1987, and Grant in 1989. Chad was a pharmacist, and Margaret was an operations manager, and they were doing okay. They bought a plot of land and built a lovely four-bedroom detached house on it. It was almost three acres. And they moved with their young family and carried on like most people do, with an end goal in sight. By 2019, when this case takes place, Chad and Margaret had also bought a house in Tennessee and planned on retiring there at some point and maybe leaving the house in Florida for Cody and Grant to live in, as the eldest son, Jason, had long moved out and was living and working about 11 miles away, closer to the coast in Winter Springs. Even though there were two years difference between the youngest two boys, they were so tight they were best friends. The two of them were on the weightlifting team at school, which I thought was strange, but evidently not. Wrestling teams I've heard of, but not a weightlifting ones. As adults, they became part of an airsoft team, which I know you've had fun with at some point, Cameron, haven't you? Before I mentioned the airsoft stuff, which yes, I have done. <laughs> Me and my friend have been in the woods and shot each other before with airsoft guns. <laughs> it's actually quite fun. The weightlifting team that they 
joined that isn't just like an arbitrary let's lift weights bruh type event it's a uh, olympic style weightlifting so it's clean snatch that kind of stuff uh, it's very specific right. it's not it's not just like benching it's a very specific sport yeah my brain didn't go that direction yeah but the airsoft thing they dressed up pretty much paramilitary as a big group to go off and do this it's quite amusing to look at the pictures to a certain extent you genuinely have to because some of those things come out at 400 feet per second and if they hit you in the wrong place it hurts and you welt up so you have to wear a mesh mask over your face so you don't get hit in the teeth and lose your teeth you have to wear visors and genuinely want to wear like a headgear like a toque or a beanie because they hit you in the head that fucking hurts so it's a bit like paintballing then that hurts when you get hit it's a bit like paintballing but the paintball pellets themselves i'm not sure if they're called that are much heavier and they tend to leave more of like a, a stain so you have to you have to wear the overalls but with airsoft some of the fun does come in the, the really stupid part of dressing up like power <laughs> military type shit well the brothers had long-term goals as a team they would go into the medical field just like dad and they would buy matching bmws and live to work together sounds like on the surface idyllic doesn't it almost like twins can be but i think it was actually really unhealthy especially how things developed there seemed to be a lack of individuality somehow maybe that's why jason the older brother was not that close with the family Uh, he did talk to his mother once a week on the phone but for living such a short distance away jason only saw them a couple of times a year isn't he only the half brother though Yes, but he was pretty. He was brought up from about the age of three. He probably just feels a little bit distant because he's not fully biologically related. He's only the half brother, or they might have slightly ostracised him. Possibly. Because looking at the pictures, that that dad has strong genes because those kids yeah. look like the same and very similar to the dad. But regarding the brothers living very codependently on each other, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. In our Western society, we're very individualistic. Mm. We leave the house at a pretty young age. We get like qualified, get our own house somewhere basically are poor as well whereas in a lot of other cultures it's the family that buys a house yeah so they sort of generationally build their wealth together you don't have the ability to pool your wealth do you well maybe that's where they were going the way that they were going to go well they don't have a long-term partner they don't have a wife they don't have something else so they're going to half the financial cost for themselves they're going to be a stronger unit together so don't necessarily see something wrong with that in an ideal world most people would probably want that. They yeah. want a family mem- family member to be that tight knit to you that you can actually develop and grow things together. You've got that support, haven't you? Yeah, that's true. But this was a long term goal. But they- I mean, it obviously doesn't go that way because we're a true crime podcast. We don't just talk about shit. <laughs> we talk about the bad shit. <laughs> well, the boys were working at making that dream happen. Cody went to the University of Central Florida in the nursing program first did well and when he graduated he went on to qualify as a nurse anaesthetist i don't think we have them over here do we grant went to follow the same path he struggled he barely qualified as a nurse and couldn't hack the study on the anaesthetist program he either failed or dropped out it's not clear but he did manage to get a job as a nurse in orlando and had at least absorbed some of the higher education in anaesthesia because he got rather concerned about patients he was working with. So much so that Grant ordered drugs through the hospital to help them. How he even had the access to order this stuff, I don't know. Propofol. Yes, the stuff that was part of the cocktail of drugs that was in Michael Jackson's system when he died. It's used in induction and maintenance of general anaesthesia and sedation for mechanically ventilated adults. It's given by injection into a vein and the maximum effect takes about two minutes to occur and typically lasts only five to ten minutes. It basically zonks you out and it also clears the memory. June of 2018... Grant is suspended after hospital staff had found eight empty vials of propofol in two rooms that Grant had been overseeing. These hadn't been ordered by any doctors. When confronted, he said that he had administered the drug to patients who were not being adequately relaxed. What? Who was he to determine that? And relaxed? Sounds creepier than saying that they were in pain, doesn't it? I don't know if Propofol works against pain. I don't think it does. Well, if you're unconscious, you're probably not in pain anymore. Yeah, but if it only only works for five minutes, you've got to drip feed him it. Well, the hospital investigated this and fired him. 
It was only then that the police were called. I mean, for goodness sake. He was a nurse drugging people with unprescribed drugs and could have killed someone. A proper angel of death in the making. He was charged with grand larceny only, not attempted murder. Have you heard of a movie called The Good Nurse? No. Is it Eddie Redmayne, the yes. guy that's in Fantastic Beast? Yes. And the theory of everything. Have you heard of Charlie Cullen? Yeah, Charles Cullen, yes. I've considered a number of times about doing that case. So that movie is about him. Obviously, ah. it's slightly dramatised. And also has a slightly weird film grain effect thing where it makes the movie look like it's kind of old. It looks like a movie from the early 2000s, late 90s. That's because I think about when it happened. Yes. You look at it and you think, this isn't a 2021 movie, but those actors would have been about 10 if that's when it actually was shot. But in that movie, again, dramatised, the hospitals basically don't communicate at all mm-hmm. and they deny any responsibility. Mm-hmm. As soon as the police investigated saying, do you work here? They would say, yes, he did. All that is completely shut up and lawyer up. Mm-hmm. So that means the next hospitals that would invite him to work there would have no sort of record of what he's done, yeah. even though he's moved. And everyone that worked, they kind of suspected that they were having X amount of codes per night. He then starts working. They go up. He leaves. They go down again. Oh, it was him. Could be a similar thing with that. It, it, it took the police so long to get to get hold of him because of that, because the, the hospital didn't want to communicate and have any sort of blame. You're, you're exactly right. I think the hospital decided it didn't want to press charges. It wanted it all to go away. Grant ends up being in the clear, but it takes time. It hangs over him for quite a while. Now, again, it's never made clear if his nursing licence was revoked, but I doubt it. But he wasn't getting another reference from this hospital, was he? And he couldn't get a job in the field he had spent years training for. He kept trying, but he couldn't land these jobs. That tier of sabotage just... Yeah. I don't get it at all. You spent so long getting educated... You become a nurse and then you start independently drugging people outside of what the doctors have told you because you think that they're not being adequate, adequately sedated or pain managed. And you don't think that's going to have a ramification on you having a job. Would it affect his brother's employment? Because they might be like, you're his brother. And I assume they work in the same hospital as nurses. It's not clear, actually. Not clear. It's possible. Never mentioned, actually. Now you've said that. That's one of those questions I never bloody well thought of, never researched. It would make sense, right? Yeah. Because they're going to carpool or some shit, right? It would make sense. Yeah. Well, he's 29 years old. What on earth is he going to do with his life? He was in a depression, had lost an enormous amount of weight. He looked like an animated corpse. He slept all day and played games online all night. So why not go and do what everyone else was doing in 2018? He would become an online personality and his in was Twitch. He decided that his niche was to become a Twitch streamer and people would subscribe to watch him or send him tips. After all, it was just an extension of what he was already doing every night, wasn't it? I think it was COD, but I'm not sure. So that's Call of Duty for some people that don't know. And what Twitch is, is a live streaming platform that you play video games as a Twitch streamer. You can see... Basically, have a camera pointed on yourself. They can see the screen, etc. It sounds really stupid. Why would people watch it? Why do people watch sport? Just a bunch of millionaires taking a bag full of air around. But it's entertainment. And it isn't just playing the game because that isn't fun to watch. Either you have to be in the 0.1% or 0.1% to be good at it enough for people to watch you. You have to be a phenom, like a phenom at the game. And in that, in that case, you're probably earning money being a eSport player. Yeah. If you're playing Call of Duty, you'll be playing in some sort of um, tournaments to earn money that way. Or because you're so entertaining that people find it funny from what you're, what you're doing. You can actually be, qu- be quite bad at games and still be entertaining. Or yeah. have great commentary about it in the first place and be enthralling or whatever. But Homeboy probably doesn't have that. The only problem was with this latest idea was that he was broke. The lawyer's fees for his little legal problem with the hospital had cleaned him out. And the bank of mum and dad had to come to the rescue. They came to the rescue with his latest idea too. Even Cody chipped in to buy him all the computer equipment needed to have a professional type setup. As Cameron's just mentioned, he knows a lot more about these things than I do. But $10,000 wouldn't be an unheard of amount of money. Yes, it would. That's an incredible amount of money. That You're looking at the top 1% of Twitch streamers that would even need to spend that. You need a camera, some sort of capture device, and a computer, two monitors, and a mic. 10 grand is a lot of money for it. I don't, he didn't spend that on the computer equipment unless he thought, much like in podcasting, the more money you spend on the equipment, the more views and listens you'll get. There's a threshold that you need, i.e. the sound quality is so poor, no one's going to listen, or the video quality is so bad. But that's it. 
Right. Well, it's you, it's... you need to hit a threshold. And beyond that, it doesn't add anything to the actual quality of your content. I think he was a, a fantasist when this is, was the start if of it. If you did have 10 grand, what you do is you spend two and a half grand on the computer and the following seven and a half grand on an editor that can cut up your content and put it on YouTube. It's entirely possible he could have succeeded if he'd stuck at it. He was actually bringing in, I don't know if this is a good amount, you can tell me. He was bringing in $150 a month very quickly. And I think that sounds pitiful, but it can quickly grow. But as with the podcast, you have to be consistent. And Grant wasn't. He was rarely online in Twitch. He wasn't engaging with people and people quickly lost interest. Something else had caught his eye. Internet porn. Yes, we are back there. Specifically, cam girls. And very specifically, one girl from Bulgaria whose online name was Addie Sweet. Her real name being Sylvia, but it's actually usually called Sylvie. In Grant's mind, the men that he met in her group chat room were the closest thing he had to comrades. Not real friends, because they all vied for her attention, but a sort of brothers in arms trying to win the love of this model. And those that gave the most gifts got to spend one-on-one time with her in another breakout room where she would put on shows for them. Your eyes are rolling now, aren't they, my dears? Grant actually believed that he had a chance with her. He just had to convince her that being a wealthy professional gamer with his own house and a BMW was what she wanted in life. Why it was always a BMW, I have no idea. Why that was the pinnacle of his car ownership, not a Lamborghini, a Ferrari, but a BMW. He actually owned a Honda Accord, hardly in the same league. Along with his boasts to her, he would send her lingerie and toys to use in her private performances for him. She, in turn, would send him love letters and cards with lipstick kisses on them. But their one-on-one and even the group chats cost. Nothing comes for free. Grant had to buy tokens to talk to Sylvie. These were bought in blocks of 5000 and cost $600 for a block. Sylvie charged 90 tokens per minute. That is $10 per minute to talk online to a woman thousands of miles away who would not have let this guy buy her a drink in real life. That's not far for like a really high-end therapist. He had convinced himself that she was his girlfriend and the other guys in the chat rooms were just lucky that he allowed them to spend time with her. Every time Grant told his family he needed money to buy another piece of equipment, they stumped up. But the sums grew quickly and they started to question him. It's far, far easier to steal and answer questions. He couldn't even be bothered to make up convincing lies. His beloved brother Cody, who doted on him, had one bank account cleared out of $60,000. His parents got taken for $140,000, maybe more, in three months. The family found out about the money and the online cam girl, and Chad, his father, scrambled to help his spoilt youngest son. He took out a second mortgage and when Chad found out that Grant had been trying to take out a line of credit fraudulently in Chad's name, he swept that little thing underneath the rug too. I'm assuming he stole the identity of his brother and one at least of his parents to get access. Yeah. Now, I get why they didn't sell that house in Tennessee to cover all this. It was their dream retirement. So why should they? If they'd sold it, they may never have gotten anything remotely like it again. Cody, Grant and an old school friend take a trip to Japan in December of 2018. It was one of those bucket list type trips talked about for many years And no doubt the Amato family thought that getting Grant away from his everyday existence and the draw of Sylvie would help him clear his mind and find a way forward. Grant and Cody had been into anime for years, so it wasn't an unreasonable idea to take a trip to Japan. The trip was okay. 
Not exactly a disaster, but not the life-changing experience Cody had hoped for for Grant. The grand larceny charges had been dropped and it was a chance to start again. But Grant went missing a few times on the trip and was eventually tracked down to pachinko parlours or internet cafes and was online using his iPad trying to talk to Sylvie. The friend that they had travelled with found credit cards were being declined and when he investigated found charges to the webcam company. Was that his credit card or sort of a group credit card? No, his own. Grant was stealing even when on a bucket list trip that he had not paid for. Cody had paid the entire cost for them both. In more than one way, by the way, he's stolen. Let's round it up. I'm assuming it's going to get to a quarter of a million. It's going to get to the stolen 60 grand from brother, 100 plus from parents. That isn't just their money or and then also what Grant has spent. That's directly taken the money from his brother Jason and Cody because they were that money would eventually come to them in the form of inheritance. And especially Cody, who Grant is so close with because they are borderline twins slash codependent type stuff. Hold your brother to a higher standard. If you, you two want to go on to do greater things, he's now fucked it up by selling anaesthetic. Sorry, not selling anaesthetic, using anaesthetic on other patients. So you no longer have this like joint nurse thing to gather funds and become successful. It's very parasocial what this guy's doing. Yeah. It's like what happens to a lot of Twitch streamers? If you're very successful and popular, to get your attention, because you might have, say, 10,000 people watching at a time, to get your attention, people need to spend money to get like the dono thing that pops up and they can then see your message. Yeah. So people kind of think, you, think you're think you their friend Yes. because you respond to them a lot. But the, yes. the point is you're paying for service by getting entertained by the person and then they interact with you because you're paying them money. But they don't know you and you don't know them. You know them as an entertainer. Yeah, this is exactly it. You're right. When Grant returned from the trip, he and his father began fighting almost every day over Grant's lifestyle and the fact he didn't have a job. On December the 19th, 2018, Grant left the house after a particularly bad argument. He texted his mother saying that he was really tired of everything and just going to handle it all in his own way. Margaret reported Grant missing to the police, explaining that he'd been having strong feelings of worthlessness and hinting he was suicidal. The police find him. They say he is not in any position to be Baker acted, where he's, you know, involuntary committed, and they let him go. Grant just wanted to be left alone with Sylvie. His family were ruining his life. So he went to extended family to his aunt Donna in Apopoca, about 42 miles west of Chuluota. She lets him stay and he immediately goes back into his old pattern where he spends the whole day sleeping and the entire night awake. Predictably, Donna notices some odd charges on her bank account from none other than the Cam Girls website. Donna calls Chad telling him what Grant was up to. Chad pleaded with her not to press charges. He was desperately upset. He told her that his retirement was on hold and he would have to work longer to pay back what Grant had taken, but they just did not want Grant to go to jail. Cody also spoke to Aunt Donna, telling her that he would pay her back all the money Grant had stolen from her. The family were still so desperately covering up for Grant that no consequences for any of his actions and he'd actually been rewarded by that trip to Japan? The family decides to take drastic action. Poor Cody was the only one who actually had any money left and he fronted the $15,000 that a rehab centre would cost when Chad, Margaret and Cody rocked up at Auntie Donna's on the 22nd of December 2018 and told Grant in no uncertain terms he was going to rehab for 60 days. And they promptly took him to a centre in Fort Lauderdale that specialised in internet and sex addiction. So the family probably had a wonderful time over the holidays, no longer stressing over Grant and what he was doing, especially if he wasn't allowed to contact them by the facility, which is often the case. And they must have been absolutely heartbroken when, as he was a voluntary patient, he walked out of the treatment centre and came home on the 4th of January 2019. Stuck it not even two weeks. $15,000 down the drain for Cody. No refund. 
He stole his family's identity, chucked away 15 grand of his very close brother's money, all so he could tug one off to a girl that he speaks to online that he pays for. Yes, in a nutshell. Make better life choices. I've made some bad life choices. This does what? Yeah, you remember that trip to Japan? Yeah. It cost Cody 10 grand. And it cost his mate money. And I bet his mate never saw that money. Or his parents paid it, which is probably what happened. Or he got it back from the bank, yeah. Doubt he would have got it back from the bank because he would have to report fraudulent charges and they're going to investigate it and find out that it was Grant. So then it basically was his parents that would have had to have paid that off. Mm. Well, Grant rocks up at home and it seems that unless Grant had actually spent the 4th of January up all night, he had had an inkling that this may happen and was prepared. After all, Grant had not stuck to anything since getting his initial nursing degree and it had been all downhill since then. While Grant had been in rehab, Chad had accessed Grant's computer and gotten in contact with Sylvie, telling her that Grant had been lying to her and all the money he had spent on her was actually stolen from his family. On learning this, Sylvie apparently was no longer interested in communicating with Grant. Chad had erased everything off Grant's computer and put a password on it so he was unable to access it when he returned home. On the 5th of January, Chad took Grant to lunch. At the restaurant, Chad took a handwritten list of rules out of his pocket that Grant had to abide by if he wanted to continue living in the family home. The rules dictated that Grant had to stop spending all night online and get a job. His parents would no longer pay his phone bill. His previous phone plan had been cancelled and Chad had set him up on a new plan that did not have data. He had to pay back debts to the family and he had to go to therapy. He was also no longer allowed to communicate with Sylvie. If he was caught doing so, he would be kicked out of the house immediately. If he did not agree to these rules, Grant was to leave home or enlist in the military, although Chad told Grant that he didn't think the military would be interested in him as he was too thin. To be honest, I've seen pictures of him, even with his nursing degree being a law for the military, there was no way I don't think he could physically pass basic training. While I don't disagree with any of the ultimatums he's been given, because I think they are basically fair, mm-hmm. when someone has an addiction, you can't just say, we've paid for you to do rehab. And they, they just won't choose to go. Yeah. Evident by Grant having left rehab already. He needs to come to the the conclusion that he wants to stop doing it because it is a form of addiction what he's doing. It's a porn addiction. It's he's basically screwed up the dopamine in his brain. He only gets the fix from speaking to Sylvie and spending the money. He gets a kick from it. Like he's addicted to that process. You need to break the process. You need to replace it with something, but there isn't anything to replace it with. So what's the solution? Replace it, but it's finding the thing to replace it with or, or get him into healthier habits. But as someone a grown adult. He doesn't have to listen to them, but then he should deal with the consequences. But he doesn't have any consequences because everything's being enabled. Well, he they're, ag- they're kind, loving parents. I, I kind of don't blame them for doing it. They're the, he's their child. She, they love him, but he's just a twat. Well, he had no option but to agree to these rules. But he says it's unfair as Sylvie is his girlfriend. Things quiet down for a couple of weeks. Signs- if you pay for them, they're not your girlfriend. <laughs> Signs of relief all around. Until Grant persuades his mother to let him borrow her phone and contacts Sylvie on Twitter, although she never responded on there. He eventually manages to contact her, possibly via the website, and she, perhaps seeing dollar signs, replies to him, asking him how it felt to be back home and then sent him a link of her. Now, the way it's worded, I suspect it was a free link to her, so it would have been, here's another taster, drawing him back in. Grant responds by saying, with this link, it feels even better now. He told her, I can't wait to be watching you be super innocent in those tempting panties. I'm just so happy to be back. It just feels right. Yeah, creepy. What was even creepier was him sending her a video of him supposedly walking outside the house down to their mailbox so he wasn't being seen by his parents or brother and telling her on the video that he wanted a video of her just for himself and please, he didn't want to pay for it as it didn't feel right having to pay her. 
What he meant was he didn't have any money to pay her and she was not your girlfriend. You were just a job. Chad finally finds out that Grant had been in contact with Sylvie and tells him to leave the home in the evening of the 24th of January 2019. 24th of January, Cody is at work. According to his girlfriend, a real live one who actually worked with him, Cody got some kind of a call from his father at around 9.15pm and Chad told Cody that he needed to come home. Cody told his girlfriend when she asked what it was about, It was he said it was just some fucking bullshit and then he left the hospital. He got permission to leave, he didn't just walk out. The girlfriend text Cody at 9.43pm asking if he was okay and he replied, all okay, she didn't need to worry about him. Now the inference to me is that it was Margaret, the mother, had been worried about Grant. There is no further communication with Cody that night but the next day when he doesn't show up for work and being the super reliable guy he was, His girlfriend and another friend were that concerned they couldn't contact Cody. They called, they got the hospital to call Jason, who was also his emergency contact. Jason couldn't raise them on the phone. They then asked the police to go around to do a welfare check. I guess they couldn't leave the hospital themselves to go and check on him. To be honest, they are probably forever grateful that they couldn't leave. 25th of January 2019 at approximately 9.17 a.m., Officers from the Seminole County Sheriff's Department arrive at the home. All doors and windows are locked and the family cars, including Cody's, but not Grant's, are still at the property. They try sounding the police car's air horn in case someone overslept or something, drugged or drunk or whatever, but there's no movement from the house. Rather than brush it off, the officers get permission from their superiors to make entry and use a knife to open a lock on the back door. Officers first find Chad in the kitchen, laying on his back with a large pool of blood underneath him. It is later determined that he had been shot in the back of the head first, which had not killed him, and then his body rolled over and shot again in his head at the front, this time fatally. It was also noted that he was wearing a gun holster on his right hip. The firearm was still intact. It later turned out that there was a speck of blood on the coin pocket under the holster on Chad's jeans, indicating he wasn't armed when he was shot and that holster was put on him after he had died. People also came forward and said that Chad typically didn't wear his gun, so why was he wearing it that night? Could be any one of a hundred reasons, and that doesn't appear to have ever been looked into. Police next find Cody's body lying on the floor, curled over at the entrance to the garage and the home gym. He had been shot in the face under the eye and was also deceased, and a handgun was found lying about four to five feet away from his body. He was still wearing his hospital scrubs, and they appeared to be the ones he had worn to work on the 24th, and not clean ones, as if he was going to work on the 25th, so probably shot just as he arrived home. Margaret was found slumped over her computer at her desk with one bullet wound to the back of her head. Her time of death was later given around 4.45pm. Now there is a discrepancy in the timeline here. It's never clarified even in court, I don't think. If Margaret was shot before 5pm, why would Chad ring Cody after 9pm? And the reference was that Margaret was worried about Grant if she'd been dead for maybe four or five hours at this point. Had something happened earlier in the day or Chad found something more online or what? It was just a point that looked odd to me. Police try and track down Grant and Jason. They find Jason, but no sign of Grant. Jason tells the police all about Grant and his shenanigans, everything. Police were able to swiftly discount Jason as his alibi was airtight. Police have a bolo out on Grant's car. He is tracked via toll booths, so these fast pass type things. Thick or what? He spends 25th zooming about all these roads and the police are just behind him every single time but can't actually find him. 
They eventually find his car on the 26th of January in the car park of the Doubletree by Hilton in Orlando and arrest Grant as he is coming out of the room he had rented there. He was registered for one night and hadn't arrived until the afternoon of the 25th, the day after the murders. He was wearing hospital scrubs and said he had been for a job interview. There is never any other mention of that. If it was real, did it happen? And why wear scrubs? He's not exactly going to be allowed to play pin the donkey with the patient on an interview, is he? It's weird. Grant's initial statement to the police was that Chad was an angry and overbearing man who was physically violent towards Margaret, Jason and Grant himself, but not to Cody when they were younger. Chad had come home from work and told Grant that he knew about Grant continuing to talk to Sylvie and he'd been warned of the consequences and he had to leave the house. Grant says there was a bit of shoving and pushing with his father but nothing major and he started to pack his stuff up and put things in his car and the argument continued for hours. Margaret stayed out of it all. Grant then tells police that he left the house around 9 or maybe 9.30pm and drove to a nearby street and waited for Cody to pass by in his car going home, which he does. He stops and Cody tells Grant that he will straighten everything out for his little brother. Now, that timeline would actually fit with the call to Cody that his girlfriend knew about, wouldn't it? 9.45ish getting home and Chad moaning about Grant to Cody. Another thing that's not made clear in all of this is whether it was a call from Chad's mobile to Cody or was it the home phone or was it a text to Cody? It's not clear. But the above doesn't fit with Margaret's time of death, which was actually fixed by experts by movement on a laptop, which ceased at 4.45pm. And that actually meant nothing to me. She could have stopped typing or scrolling when Chad and Grant were arguing for hours and then only sat down again as Cody got home. Now, I realise I sound like the defence here, but please stay with me. Police confront him and say, nah, it's not possible for you to randomly wait on that road and Cody pass by. And I suspect it was not the normal route to the house if that was the argument because Grant immediately folds and gives them another statement. He says he was going back to the house on the 25th of January and changed his mind. Police say, had he seen anything on the way to the house that was out of the ordinary? And Grant says, no. Police point out the area was swarming with police and news vans and he admits that Yes, he had seen them and had left because he didn't want to know what was going on. He drives to a local restaurant, parks in the car park and uses their Wi-Fi to look for news in the area. It obviously comes up that something had happened and the police ask him again why he didn't try and go home or contact anyone and he has no answer. Grant admits he obviously had a motive with the money and the Sylvie issues but says that he had been blamed for everything wrong in the house for months and he fully expected to be blamed for this, even though he didn't do it. Detectives found it striking that after three hours of being interviewed, Grant did not ask what had happened to his family. They show him pictures of the crime scene and he tried to blame Cody, the brother who had protected him and done everything for him by saying... I just assumed Cody had had enough and shot them and then shot himself. That explained to police why a gun was found near Cody's body. It had been planted. Also goes to the statement that Cody had never been physically punished by their father. So jealousy and resentment? Grant also, at one point, tried to say that although Cody was the one who passed the anaesthetist exams, it was he, Grant, who was a much better student, yet him flunking out was nothing. Yet police find copies of Cody's university assignments on Grant's computers, like crib notes. Police bring Jason, his older brother, in to try and appeal to some small speck of familial bonding and love. He gets nothing from Grant at all. Nada. Remember that trip to Japan and the friend that accompanied them and had his accounts emptied by Grant? Well, he was mates with someone else who did know both Grant and Cody and he comes forward to the police. 
The police can't find the murder weapon. It's not the one by Cody's body, and it's not one of the others that's in the house. This friend of a friend tells them that he had a gun in a wardrobe at his house that had been there for a long time. He had last seen it about a year ago, had no need for for it, no need to go looking for it. But after this, well, it's missing. And yes, Grant had been left alone in the room and had access to take the gun about two weeks before the murder. And it's the same calibre as what police believed the murder weapon was. Just to clarify, it wasn't the friend who Grant had stolen the money from in Japan, but his friend that had his gun stolen. April 2019, Grant is in jail charged with three counts of first-degree murder and on a $750,000 bond. That's not a lot for three murders, is it? But no one will bail him out. And he tried to get access to his parents' estate, but a judge blocked that and also stopped him from contacting any witnesses. So he tried a different tactic. He didn't try to contact Sylvie, did he? No. No, but... It's equally weird. As he's on remand, he has extra privileges, doesn't he? Including sending email. And I did wonder if he tried to contact Sylvie, but I can't find out if he did. May 2019. He tells an Orlando TV station that he would share his story if released. Big hints that he wants them to front his bond. He tells them... I just want to feel the sun again, feel the breeze on my skin, feel the simple pleasures every innocent man feels. They don't bite. So he asks another reporter for another company if they would offer anything in exchange for an interview with suspected triple murderer. Nope, they're not biting. He goes one better with a New York-based guy. He's a videographer. And he asked this chap if he couldn't connect him with a millionaire to help out with the bond. And says, if you happen to know any, would you, then maybe they would like to post my bond. I'd be eternally grateful and I'd give exclusive rights for you to my story. This guy's not biting either. But it's interesting in one message that Grant is now annoyed that his half-brother Jason, Jason had flip-flopped between hating Grant and supporting him, it's a horrible position to be in, but Grant is full of self-pity and he tells this New York guy that Jason's mission is now to make my life that much harder by not believing in his innocence. He also speaks a bit about home in Chuluota, describing the neighbours as elitist and complaining that fast internet and Uber Eats were not available there. Sad, I know. And he used an emoji to sign it off could have been a joke or whatever but it's a very strange observation and if you don't like it move out you mooch that's almost gallows humor i've been accused of a triple murder but uber eats and i can't get fiber internet yeah he's also upset about his memories of life before his arrest which brought tears to my eyes they all remind me of the family that was taken from me and the brother i loved more than anything in this world Grant sits in jail until his trial on the 23rd of December 2019. On the surface, it's a close case. He's the only one with a motive. Margaret's computer was inactive from 4.45pm. At 5.25pm, the health app on Chad's phone recorded him taking 67 steps, which presumably from his car into the house. There's then no more movement until... 5.52 when Chad's iPhone was unlocked and the settings on the phone were changed so the phone would stay unlocked. It was later noted that Chad's index finger which would unlock the phone was clear of blood unlike the rest of his hand and experts were convinced that it had been cleaned off. Grant then shot Corey the moment he arrived home. At 11.32pm, a thumb drive or memory stick with over 600 photographs and videos of Sylvie was inserted into Grant's computer. This thumb drive would later be found by investigators in the pocket of Grant's jeans in his car. 
At 11.39pm, Cody's iPhone was connected to Grant's computer, but it couldn't be paired, which prosecutors believed it meant that Grant didn't know Cody's pin for his phone and his wasn't fingerprint activated. If it was facial activated, he would have been out of luck after shooting him in the face, wouldn't he? Three minutes later, the phone was put into recovery mode, which led the prosecution to believe that someone was trying to wipe Cody's phone. At 12.08am, Chad's banking app was accessed using his biometric fingerprint. At 2.54am, Grant accessed Wi-Fi at a nearby restaurant and at 3.06am, he paid $599.99 to reopen his CamGirl account. Cody, the medical examiner testified, was not shot at close range. If he had committed suicide, his autopsy would have shown that he was shot at close range. Margaret and Chad were shot at close range. The medical examiner testified that the scene strongly indicated that all three deaths were a result of homicide. There was also a letter that Grant had sent to the other men who were in Sylvie's chat room with him, his comrades. Six pages long. He told them how his life was made up. Lies. He lived with his parents, was not a professional Twitch streamer. He was unemployed and did not drive a BMW. He also expressed his anger towards his family for a number of reasons. Firstly, he was upset that they had made him go to rehab. But what he resented the most was that they had spoken to Sylvie and revealed the truth about him. He wrote in the letter that his father is controlling and abusive, his mother is simply around for security, and his brother is also controlling and does not understand how I could care for someone as much as I cared for Sylvie. He goes on to say, Seeing her so happy without me in her life, I hope you guys never have to live through. It's a feeling that rips your heart out and makes me realise how pointless everything is without her. I am unable to function normally without her, not hearing her good mornings or good nights, not talking for hours a day. I truly love this woman. I send her messages every day and get no response. She is my everything and I will give up my life to simply to be able to make her smile. The defence said that there was no physical evidence found on Grant. None of his family's DNA, no gunshot residue nor was any of Grant's DNA found on his family members. But then again, investigators did not track Grant down for a good 36 hours after the murders occurred, giving him plenty of time to shower and dispose of any clothing that might have been contaminated with their DNA. Plus, it gave him plenty of time to get rid of this missing murder weapon. The defence also argued that Grant did not have access to any guns because he'd sold all of his to send money to Sylvie. His father had guns but kept them in a safe and Grant didn't know the combination for the safe. But they only have Grant's word for that, don't they? However, investigators did discover gloves in his hotel room at the Doubletree and that did have gunshot residue on them. But... They couldn't isolate any DNA back to the victims. Even Grant's wasn't isolated. Problem was, they were the ones he was known to have worn when he was in Japan. But they were thick and unlikely to be able to move your hands enough to shoot a gun wearing them. And there was another big problem, a really big problem for me. As I said before, forensics, it was sloppy. There was no other word for it. Also, additional investigations by police that were not done because they had their guy. The forensics guy was in and out of the courtroom, constantly being called back and asked questions and clarifications. Turns out they didn't test Chad's phone for fingerprints. The ones that they said Grant had used Chad's finger to unlock. Now, he's a nurse. He could have worn flipping gloves, couldn't he? They also Check the car. The interior driver's side door handle of Grant's car was searched for blood. However, the exterior door handle was not. 
And also the floor mat was checked for blood, but they didn't check underneath the mat. They couldn't actually pinpoint physically Chad, Margaret and Cody's time of death. They just used the last known communications to give an estimated one. There was also a locked safe in Chad and Margaret's bedroom. It was not dusted for prints. And when asked why, the forensic chap said, we didn't think it was important. We have had no idea what should have been in there or what was missing and whose fingerprints could have been inside it. Secondly, there was something in Chad and Margaret's bedroom. It's called an armoire. So to you and I, it's a fancy French style wardrobe. It didn't contain clothes. It contained a grow operation for marijuana. It wasn't in use, but still. And they found a couple or of large mason jars in Chad's wardrobe, stuffed with weed. Again, no fingerprints taken and no investigations done. Medical weed is allowed in Florida. It's legal to possess up to three 70 a day or six 35 day supply limits, whatever the hell that is. One 35 day supply limit is limited to 2.5 ounces or 71 grams. But it's not a, it's not legal weed, the same as a number of other states. It's medical weed. So my question was, why did Chad have it? He was a pharmacist. Was it for personal use or Margaret's use? Or was he selling it perhaps to get out from under the bills that Grant had left them with? I have no idea, but it's the fact it was ignored. And there was something else strange going on in that house. I found mention of a text from Margaret to Chad that the jury never got to hear about. This was sent on January the 9th, 2019 at 10.53am. I have spent the last 30 years of my life, except for the first few years we were separated, trying to meet your expectations. You have spent the last 15 trying to meet mine. We are different, but together. I thought we had found peace and appreciation for each other's strengths, and that made us a solid team. One week ago, in the space of three hours, you vehemently told me how much you hate me and what a loser I am and that I am responsible for ruining your life, that I think of you as a meal ticket and fixer so I can sit back and do nothing, that you want to kill me and most hurtful that you regret not choosing and then it's blanked out and a name maybe. I am to recover and not lose my job. Keep Cody feeling good by not perpetuating a depressive atmosphere and move Grant in a meaningful direction. I will support you whatever you need to do for you. At this point, I don't care what that means for me. I am tired of fighting. You can have everything. Something odd was going on in that house. Lots of reports out there about how Margaret rescued a former racehorse and nursed it back to health. But again, I have no idea the relevance except perhaps to humanise the victim, which makes sense. Jason did say on the stand that Chad could be forceful and they would get smacked as children for wrongdoings, but that he had never thought of it as abuse. I'm not saying Chad and or Margaret were abusive. But it goes to Grant's perception of them as bad parents, maybe. And as you said earlier, Cameron, as a family, they went far beyond being supportive. They enabled him and he took full advantage. Even his own grandmother believed he was guilty. And it came out in court that the two brothers and the parents had taken 12-hour shifts sitting outside that aunt's house when he ran off to make sure that he actually wouldn't bolt further before they could get him into rehab. And when he was arrested, they found that he had his passport on him and they thought that maybe he'd been looking to bolt. So I'm still sat there thinking, okay, did they put him on the do not fly list? You know, how long did a flight, how much would a flight to a Bulgaria have cost him? Where was he going to get that money, steal it? That's all he does. Why did he not? 
get the hell out after the murders. Why did he stay in the area? He was only in Orlando, which is, you know, 25 miles away. I can't blame the prosecution for ignoring all the stuff the forensics did or didn't do, or maybe the investigators. But why the jury didn't ask, maybe it's just me, because I discovered that jurors are allowed to ask questions. And in this trial, they asked a lot. Apparently, Arizona, Florida and Kentucky require that judges allow jurors to ask written questions. So they'd write it off, send it to the judge. The judge would ask the question of the witness. It may not have made any difference. Investigators had also found Grant was in possession of pictures of the front and back of credit cards belonging to his grandmother, uncle, one of his cousins and Cody and Chad. It was all down to money and it probably did sway the jury enough so that in August 2019, after only eight hours of deliberation, Grant was convicted on three counts of first degree murder. While the death penalty was an option, the jury could not agree. So it became an automatic life sentence without the possibility of parole. I also found out that when he was on remand, his defence wanted him to have an MRI scan of his brain and the judge allowed it. The suspicion was that they would use the results in a not guilty by reason of insanity plea, but it's never mentioned again. Had he had some form of TBI weightlifting or injury or when, according to Grant, Chad had been trying to hit Margaret in one argument and Grant and Cody were trying to break it up, Grant suffered a broken nose. There's no witnesses to refute that, were there? And even if there was a hospital report of a broken nose, he could have gotten that anywhere. I didn't find any mention of any psych evaluations, no mention of any mental illness or personality disorders, nothing. And as he pled not guilty, they wouldn't need for a defence, would they? And right up until the end of the trial, it was, will he, won't he testify? And he literally, until the day before he was due to go on the stand, he was going to testify, but he kept changing his mind. I watched a couple of psychiatrists try to break this case down. Bearing in mind they had no more insight than the rest of us because they'd never treated him and I've only seen the same videos I have, it became a cocktail of buzzwords we all know. Narcissist, obsessive, sex addict, etc., etc. Also the sex addict bit. Grant was flying solo, wasn't he? She being thousands of miles away. And I did wonder if he'd ever had any relationship in re real life, ever. Never any mention of that. He wasn't physically attractive. There, I've said it. And from watching the sh few short videos of him, he was a whiner. The voice, he was just ick. And I think he would have struggled in any dating pool. He was there. After last week's case, I didn't really twig how similar this one was, but research showed me that a lot of people online absolutely think he's an incel, although it's never been raised by the press, prosecution or defence. If you're wondering, investigators never speak to Sylvie, but the notoriety massively boosted her profile and by extension, she made a lot of money out of this. She was in no way involved except to rinse a scrawny nobody, and frankly... It was her job. One reporter got into a heap of trouble on Twitter reporting on this. They decide that Sylvie can't be called a prostitute, but can be called a cool girl after consulting Google. I guess languages change, but back when, a cool girl was called that because people used to use telephones to contact them and ask them to pay a visit. It wasn't sex chat lines, which I think this reporter equated them with. It's like this reporter didn't understand what a cam girl was. And oh boy, did they get ripped to shreds in the comments. And even years later, people were coming onto the thread saying, you can't dox this girl, she's done nothing, she needs to sue you. And I was, what the hell at doxing when all the porno videos and messages were shown in open court on TV and printed in much bigger publications than this small town newspaper? I just, people are thick. So the first pass on reading, I was, how did they find him guilty on that evidence? But the second pass, with a lot more detail that came out after the trial, I was, nah, he's where he belongs. And after doing this episode, I'm still not sure. 
But the defence was right. The investigation zeroed in on him. Blinkered investigation. Genuinely didn't look at the possibility of it being anyone else. And I really do think the timeline is wrong for Margaret's death, Chad's, and thereby Cody's too. He is, on the surface, the only person with any motive for sure, but I would have struggled to convict beyond a reasonable doubt because of the lack of physical evidence. Even the phone investigations were sloppy and they couldn't pin down much because Grant didn't have a phone that was GPS enabled. He turned off the data. There was nothing to track. Didn't he, not confirm it, but he sent a message to Sylvie confirming that Boys, it's all over. It's gone. Used his mum's phone. Yeah, I guess, I guess that was before the murders because yeah. he got access to his mum's phone. So from that perspective, he was saying goodbye because he didn't think he'd be able to get access to them. But then we don't know what transpired in between him potentially killing them Yeah, and that message. Yeah. Also, Chad had changed Grant's passwords to stop him contacting Sylvie on his computer. But he must have given it back to him because the computer was what Grant used to access the Wi-Fi in those car parks late at night when he reactivated his account and when he searched for what was going on in, you know, down his road, unless it was an iPad. And again, this isn't clear in the evidence. It's all a mass of contradictions. Grant filed an appeal in 2019, and the last thing I can find is a court mandate record of the 4th of May 2021 saying it's still going ahead, but there are no dates for the actual hearing for an appeal. I know some people listening might be wondering why Sylvie was complicit in allowing him to basically keep spending the money on her, even though she'd been contacted by the family and told her to stop. Unfortunately, she offers a service and she's being paid for yeah. that service and you don't know her situation in the first place if she's under some sort of management company or even I don't know sex trafficked someone yeah. like Bulgaria these yeah. Eastern European countries do occasion have an issue with these kind of things Yeah. so you don't know how responsible she is for it in the first place and secondly you ain't in that job role for very long it's a very short lived career yeah. you make the money while you can mm-hmm. I don't I don't particularly blame her morally it could be like okay this person's got some issues so I shouldn't be taking money from them, but they're going to keep coming to you regardless. Even if she did do something and like ban ban him, he would have probably joined on a separate account and been called like Grant 2 or something. And if it wasn't her, it'd be another girl. I don't know if it would be because he's very obsessed with her specifically. True. Or it would have been to the point where he then flew over to Bulgaria and then killed her. That is how it could have gone as well. Uh, yeah, you are right. That's he was that He's that fixated. I think... Personally, because I said to you earlier, what's the solution? How would the family stop him? And the only way is, I think, what's going to happen to him now is prison. Because he hasn't chosen himself to stop contacting her. No. It's not like gambling where you can exclude yourself voluntarily. But if you're a patron at a pub or a bar, you go there, you're not causing a problem. If you have a drinking problem, but you're not pissing people off in the environment you can just keep buying stuff and they will keep providing you the alcohol yeah. you might get banned for some other reasons as well but then you can just go somewhere else so, so i don't necessarily blame the industry or the facility themselves for providing the service because that's what it is and they're going to it i agree with you i absolutely agree he is the only person I, i'm still torn whether they should have investigated further and found if there was anything strange that it could have been somebody else. But on the surface, when you look at it, even he admitted at the time in the police interviews, he admitted that he was the only logical uh, He's the only one that had a motive. Yeah, he admitted he was the only one. And he admitted it was stupid spending that amount of money with absolutely nothing at the end of it to show for it. But it didn't stop him. And as you said, he's an addict. It's no different to gambling. He would have carried on spending money with her no matter what. He's destroyed the dopamine system in his brain. The reward structure doesn't exist. He gets the rewards and the fixation from her. It's like an addict, like I say. By talking to her, he gets his dopamine fix and nothing else compares. Yeah. As it happens with porn addicts and people that are addicted to sex, nothing else quite meets it. Same with drugs. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. And that's the whole problem with why we, we as humans are messed up sometimes, how you end up on something like this. And it's just 
sad all round. So that is the end of this week's episode. But finally, the victims who should not be forgotten. Margaret Ann Wade Amato, aged 61. Chad Robert Amato, aged 59. And Cody Winston Amato, aged 31. So everyone, that is the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you're not subscribed to us on the Patreon, then what are you doing? you just got an hour of content there that absolutely slapped. You can find that in the description below, as well as finding our socials. Murder Me Monday Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can email us at murdermemondaypodcast at gmail.com. You can find mine, which is basically just Jim Shit, at Cam Can't Focus. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Bye. <laughs>